Welcome to the Dive Podcast presented by Willamette Week. I'm your host, Hank Sanders. Each week, we tackle a different issue that's uniquely Portland. So tune in every Saturday to hear a new episode complete with interviews and editorial that helps explain our city. From Portland's leading paper comes a brand new way to engage with the news, sports, arts, and culture. Stick around. You are listening to the Dive Podcast by Willamette Week. I'm your host, Hank Sanders. Today is February 27th. Another week, another great episode for you guys. We have Willamette Week reporter Shannon Gormley on the show to talk about her cover story, which is all about the art scene in Portland and more specifically how COVID has impacted Portland artists. We are also joined by the owner of Portland Institution restaurant, Papa Hayden, who is here to talk about what it's like to run a business and specifically a restaurant during COVID. And of course, we have Quote of the Week and 90 Second News Flash. But before all that, let's get to our sponsor for today's episode. This episode is sponsored by the podcast Air Health, Our Health, which is a podcast by Erica Mosesson, a lung and ICU doctor who works in the metro area. She focuses on how the air we breathe affects our health and the health of our communities from very visible wildfire smoke to less visible but still deadly air pollution. Learn about the effects of vaping and e-cigarettes from doctors and scientists, as well as how these interact with COVID-19 and how all of these elements interact with systemic racism and policy decisions. Communities of color often bear the brunt of unhealthy air and our air, our health explores the history and how we can make things better. Erica also focuses on the economic benefits of cleaning up the air, highlighting the cost of our present inaction on everything from climate change to tobacco, to combustion engines. Is pollen worse now? Should you test your home for radon? What air filtration system will help you with the next wildfire season? Subscribe to Air Health, Our Health podcast and follow at at Air Health, Our Health on Instagram to learn more. Here's a clip of the show. We know that particulate matter kills. Unfortunately, it has no political or partisan agenda. Whether the particulate matter is coming out the end of a cigarette butt coming from the exhaust of a diesel engine, or coming from a wildfire due to high temperatures, dry conditions, and wind conditions, all worsened by climate change. The end result of death and disability is the same. With that, it is now time for the 90 Second News Flash. Folks, we're starting to get some promising news on the COVID front. Cases have fallen for three straight weeks, and last week, case numbers fell by 35%. Deaths and hospitalizations due to COVID are also down. Madison High School will be renamed to Leodis v. McDaniel High School. McDaniel was the principal of the school from 1983 to 1987 and was one of the only black principals in Oregon at the time. This comes after Wilson High School changed their name to a person of color named Ida B. Wells. Ida B. Wells was a black activist and journalist. The offices of two trade associations who opposed cap-and-trade legislation got what is now known on the Dive podcast as the Portland Special. When their windows were smashed in, nothing was stolen, just a little broken glass, the way we like to do things, you know? Representative Diego Hernandez stepped down shortly before his scheduled expulsion hearing. This all came about after several credible sexual misconduct allegations were raised against Hernandez. There was a protest this week at an Amazon facility where workers were taking issue with the ongoing COVID-19 outbreaks. 
And folks, the biggest news of the week is we have a hero on our staff. More on that at the end of the episode. This has been 90 Second News Flash. Our first guest on today's show is Willamette Week reporter Shannon Gormley. Gormley joins us to talk about her cover story from this week, all about art in Portland during the time of COVID. Um, Shannon, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Um, you wrote the cover story about artists right now in Portland. I want to know, because my first impulse is, are people still doing art in Portland? And you talk about that in your piece. But what did you find was the biggest difference from the artist's perspective that COVID has had on, on their career this past year? I guess, well, I guess it depends on like each individual artist had like kind of a different a different way that they're doing things differently. Some artists, you know, you know, we talked to a filmmaker, Alberta Poon, who she normally edits from her couch anyways. So it's wasn't, it's not really that different for her. Um, I'm sure there are plenty of other ways that it is different, but you know, the day-to-day of how she does her work is kind of the same. But then we also talked to um, this jazz pianist, Ezra Weiss, who's been known in Portland for a while. And um, he's kind of like, he normally plays as like a band leader in big bands. Um, and now he's just on a keyboard in his home office. So, you know, there's kind of a range of, for some artists, their day-to-day really hasn't changed all that much. And then some artists just kind of can't do what they normally do. Talk to me about the people who you interviewed for this story specifically. Um, so the person that I interviewed, uh, is a artist named Vo, uh, an artist named Vovo, um, who's a musician and a radical educator, um, and also a visual artist who, um, they have a new show, um, at this gallery called, um, Fuller Rosen in downtown Portland, um, that deals a lot with, um, it was kind of like inspired by the summer's protests, um, the like misconceptions about Portland anarchists and like anarchists in general um, that has sort of emerged on a national level. Um, but it's not just a response to the protest. It's, it's kind of about these things that have been, um, yeah, Portland liberalism um, in a broader sense too. It's, yeah. The reporters in the story go into the subjects, uh, workspaces, homes, or offices, or whatever they may be. And I want to know if that was virtual, and and specifically with Vo, um, with your story, was it a virtual, uh, hey, pan your camera around, let me see your yarn collection, um, or or were you able to to go and visit these spaces? Yeah, um, I'm pretty sure, I did mine virtually. I think everyone else, all the other freelancers, and staff members who wrote pieces, they all did theirs virtually too. We did a kind of a similar thing last year of like tours of like secret art spaces and like art institutions. And we did all of that in person, but this year um, for safety reasons, we all did it just over Zoom. Um, Like you said, just being like, hey, turn your camera around. Oh, what's that over there? (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. And then at that, the answer before that, you talked about last year's issue. So, and I know that sometimes issues get switched around maybe one time it's in january the other time it's early february depending on year in year out but if we could compare this issue to last year's arts issue what are we seeing as a big difference both in the way that the people talk about their art and also the art itself 
aside from all of the obvious things I could say, um, you know, last year we were focusing more on art institutions. Um, like we did something about the Hollywood Theater, the Portland Art Museum, um, and these sort of like secret spaces that um, the public normally doesn't get to see of like the, the behind the scenes stuff. Um, but this year kind of everything is secret because <laughs> none of us can leave our houses. So we wanted right. it to be a lot more like um, personal and a lot about like individual artists um, in their specific spaces. So that's how the issue is different in terms of how the art is different. Um, I, I do feel like a lot of it is a little bit more um, cerebral and sort of strange in a really good way. <laughs> uh, like one of one of the artists is um, a puppet maker who she's, um, her name is Katie Stretz. She's working on uh, Guillermo de Toro's Pinocchio, which looks super weird and creepy. She's also making her own um, monster stop motion movie that sounds great. Um, a lot of the artists are using um, reclaimed and recycled materials throughout the issue, which um, that's not really a new thing, but it's definitely sort of a theme through this issue of these people making really cool, beautiful things out of like post-consumer waste, um, which seems sort of fitting for this year, even if it's not a, you know, wasn't a an artist practice that was invented in 2020, but yeah. What was the biggest hurdle that you had to overcome when, when writing this story? Uh, I don't know. I was definitely worried about if we were going to be able to get like good, interesting stories and quotes from just interviewing people over, like taking a tour over Zoom. Um, I thought that that could easily be super boring. Um, but I don't think it was. <laughs> I think it turned out okay. And I, th I thought all the writers did a really good job. And um, all the artists in the package are, are super interesting. And a lot of them are really funny. So um, yeah, I, I, I think it turned out okay. But I was, no, I was super worried about that. <laughs> it, it turned out very nicely. Last question here, uh, wrapping up. I like this question. Um, I ask it frequently, almost every time I interview somebody with Willamette Week, because there's always something to learn, something to find out. What was something that you wanted to have in the cover package that didn't make it in, whether it's for word count or uh, time? What was something that got cut? Um, I guess maybe it didn't really get cut, but I just didn't really try to put it in because I didn't think I could like fit it all in. Um, I think that Vovo, the artist that I interviewed, they're... Um, their exhibit is really interesting and they raised even just their artist statement they raised so many like great points about the discourse in Portland um, and uh, like involving the protests and anarchism and how we change or don't change things um, and I I thought that they had a lot of prescient things to say but it's all really really complicated and I just didn't have the space to like really even start to to dig into that <laughs> um in an arts package um so yeah that was something I had to sort of restrain myself to not try and cram in there um but yeah hopefully people will go see their show <laughs>
Our next guest is Michael Gibbons. Gibbons is the owner of the Portland institution and restaurant Papa Hayden. The restaurant industry has suffered more losses than almost any other industry this year, and Gibbons joins us to talk about what it's like to run a restaurant during COVID. Michael, I really want to try to like tell the story of the past year Ooh, okay. from the perspective of somebody who owns a business and specifically a restaurant. I think that's a really interesting vantage point. So yeah, that the official notice from the state was, I think, March the 17th or thereabouts. Um, maybe it was the 14th or 15th, 15th excuse me. Um, but definitely, um, you know, as you know, the news started kind of uh, picking it up end of uh February, right in there. And even as early as January, there was some stuff. Um, and it really hadn't hit us um, in, until really that last week of February, first week of March. We're traditionally slow then anyways, but it was even slower. You know, you definitely saw people weren't dining. The big word is uncertainty, right? We, you know, started scratching our heads. What are we going to do? And, and I, just serious i think my first reaction was um i really started going over our finances carefully uh what kind of things we could do without um things that we can't could cancel you know spotify um we at joe bar we have live music canceling the light performance licenses from ASCAP and bmi all that kind of you know just really fine-toothing everything um so that that was the first deal. And then realizing that whatever we were going to do, it was going to have to be without, you know, 90% of our staff and because we just didn't have the business. That that was the hardest. We, you know, tried to figure out, take our mission statement when, and kind of adjust it to pick up and delivery. And fortunately, we also um, tried to ramp up our wholesale business because grocery stores were doing well. Um, but again, the... The biggest thing was this huge weight over your head and, and this cloud of uh, unknowing of what was going to come forth. And um, I tend to be a, a, a pessimist or a skeptic. That's a better word rather than pessimist. And so I always try to plan for worse. So at that point, I was thinking that really the rest of the year was shot just from what you could garner from Johns Hopkins and, and reputable sources and uh, Lancet and some other journal, AMA journals and things like that. So. Yeah. And, and, and I want to ask about this. So obviously you have to shut down. You are uncertain about whether week in, week out, are we going to be reopening? Or are we going to be staying shut? You lay off all your staff or, or in a vast majority of your staff. Um, yeah. I want to know about the state's reaction to this issue and how they helped businesses. And then, so starting off with PPP, you talked about how successful or how helpful that was. So let's just start there. So where did the PP money go? Where did you use that money and how much? Uh, primarily payroll. Um, it was, you know, first of all, the first original um, edition where we planned out the requirements were that 75% of it had to be payroll. And then the remaining 25% could be paid um, for rent. And, and how and much did it, you get? How much did you get? Um, let's see. We got uh, 500000 uh, and some change, like five thirty six, and then just over 300000 for the East. So 800 total, uh -huh. um, which sounds like a lot of money, and it, and it, and it is. But 
Um, payroll, even on those limited payrolls, uh, we we are pretty generous in our payrolls. They were running us about, um, I don't have those right off the top of my head, but around uh, 28 to 30,000 on the East every two weeks. Um, and probably a little less, like 25,000 on on the West every two weeks. So, you know, do the math that eats it up pretty deal. Right, at that's the hundred, that's a hundred thousand a month right there. How much was that uh, allotted to supposed to go for? Was it supposed to, did it have a time where it's supposed to go for three, four, five months? Six months. Six months. Okay. So PPP is supposed to be for six months. And then what happens at what happens, you know, end of the year, September areas or. Uh, yeah. So I start getting nervous about, cause we, we, we got another three months to go. Right, right, right. <laughs> So, um, you know, um, basically what happens then is I start hounding people like my state rep and my state senator and my uh, federal Susan Bonamici and Merkley and Wyden and, you know, and Mayor Wheeler and yada, yada, yada. But we're, we're being put to death by a thousand little cuts here. Folks, before Quote of the Week, we have a heartwarming and amazing story from freelance photographer Brian Burke, who's done a lot of work with Willamette Week. Here's his story. I'm a freelance photographer, and I do some work for Willamette Week. And on the afternoon of Sunday the 14th, Valentine's Day, I was downtown shooting photographs in the snow, and I noticed a woman who was facing away from me. She was facing north on 6th, standing on the sidewalk, um, an elderly woman who uh, seemed to be having a difficult time walking in the snow. The sidewalk hadn't been cleared, uh, and it uh, was just something didn't quite look right about the situation with her. So I grabbed a couple of quick photos of her because it was an interesting uh, scene. And then I walked up to her and introduced myself and asked her if she needed any assistance. Um, and she said something along the lines of she just needed to get to a bus stop with the number eight or number nine. Uh, and so I sort of took her by the hand or, or she I gave her my arm uh, and she could sort of hang on me. And we slowly made our way down the sidewalk toward uh, a bus stop that had the uh, lines eight and nine. And I asked her if there's anybody that she wanted to call. She seemed fairly lucid and fairly confident that she just needed to get to an eight and nine bus. And I asked her if she wanted me to wait with her while, until the next bus came. And she said, no, no, I'm, I'm just fine. And I didn't want to overimpose myself. So later that night, I was scrolling through my phone and just looking at news alerts and things. And I saw uh, an, a headline come up that says, uh, elderly woman with dementia missing in Northeast Portland or something like that. And they had a photograph, like a driver's license photograph of a woman that 
I was almost certain had been the person that I had helped earlier that day. The article said that she had gone missing from her home in Northeast. And if anybody has, if you've seen this woman to call 911. And so I called 911 uh, and told them what I had experienced and at what time and where and all that. And about 20 minutes later, I got a call from a Portland police sergeant, uh, Sergeant Elam, uh, E-L-A-M. And I recounted my story to him. And uh, I told him that I'd taken a couple of photographs of her. Uh, and then I didn't hear anything more until the next day when I read that she had been found safely and had returned home. After digging through the white pages, Brian was able to track down the family of Eleanor and was able to confirm that the woman who was lost and then found was in fact the woman that he had photographed and helped along along the way in the snow. Um, so great job, Brian. Great story for, uh, for to make us all feel a little bit better about things. Um, humanity in general. There were also two women who dropped off uh, Eleanor at her home. And so if you would like to step forward and come on the podcast, Dive is inviting you to talk about who you are, uh, make yourselves known. Folks, with that, it is time for everyone's favorite segment, and that is Quote of the Week. We have two quotes of the week. One comes from me, yours truly, Hank Sanders. Last week, I said that Donald Trump was the second person, second president ever to be impeached twice. What, an, what a dumb thing to say, and because obviously he is the first president to ever be impeached twice. So that's Quote of the Week number one. Quote of the week number two comes from our current president, President Biden, who has officially announced that Portland is no longer an anarchist jurisdiction, a label that we got from President Trump uh, that, that could have come with consequences such as withholding federal funding. So, folks, breathe easy tonight because we are no longer under anarchist jurisdiction. That is just such a great bar to have um, as a city. So, phew. Folks, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Dive Podcast. For Willamette Week, I'm Hank Sanders. Have a great rest of your week. We'll see you next Saturday. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Dive Podcast, presented by Willamette Week. For more information on this podcast or the biggest stories in Portland, go to wweek.com and follow Willamette Week on all socials. We're doing some really cool things related to the podcast on our Instagram and Twitter. Includes giveaways, behind the scenes, etc. A lot of cool things coming your way, so give those a follow. Special thanks to our guests for joining us, and thank you to Aaron Mesh, Mark Zussman, and Brian Panganibon, as well as the entire Willamette week family for Willamette week i'm hank sanders this has been the dive podcast Mm -hmm.